0: All right, welcome to the first-of-its-kind, world-changing Manufacturers Network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the Manufacturers Network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, host of the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited today to bring you my guest, Sue Bingham. For more than 30 years, Sue, a human resources executive, has provided direction to companies in the transportation and logistics, pharmaceutical, aerospace, food, bottling, floral, optical, textile, and medical device industries. She's worked closely with company leaders to analyze their organizations and facilitate the implementation of common sense systems that have a positive impact on the organization's bottom line. She is an expert at effectively using culture to form a common language across global operations, leading to greater collaboration, higher levels of team member satisfaction, and increased business unit cooperation. Her passion is helping companies embrace and transition to high performance work environments. Sue, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you today. Thank you, Lisa. I know you're a former human resource executive, but kind of share with us a little bit about your journey and really what led you to what you're doing today.
1: Well, my, my journey, as as you could tell, started in manufacturing. I was exposed fairly early on to the pretty traditional management approaches and pretty traditional HR, that being a role where we sort of micromanage attendance records, and we tell supervisors how to manage, and we have lots of policies that we enforce and so on. And none of that ever felt right to me, maybe because at the time I was younger and the people I was talking to were adults, whether they worked in the plant or whether they worked in an office, didn't matter to me. They were still adults. And I had trouble taking on some of the traditional human resource responsibilities that a traditionally managed manufacturing company had at that time. So that was sort of my my real awakening. And the journey was that I happened to have a mentor who led me uh, in a different direction, who showed me an entirely different role for human resources, one that, that was truly adding value in a business partner through actually less policies, not more by recognizing that everybody can be all salaried by getting rid of the, you know, two class system that that seems to permeate manufacturing operations in particular, where if you work in the plant, you're you're sort of one class of of person with even different benefits and different rules. And if you work in the office, it's different. So that two class citizenship bothered me quite a bit. And when I found all these ways to eliminate that, by treating people as respected, responsible adults. It it made a world of difference, and I wanted to take that learning to more and more companies.
0: So when you look at the the different companies that you're working with, obviously the two-class system is one of the challenges of manufacturing, but what do you see with the companies that you're working with,
1: some of the biggest challenges that they're facing right now? Well, across the board and, and in working often with some of the manufacturing uh, groups that, that get together and talk about their biggest problems, clearly it's staffing and retention. It's, there's, I think I heard somewhere in a recently research that there were some 400,000 open positions in manufacturing which, uh, as of October, and yet from last year, hiring was up and turnover is down because people need the jobs they have and 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 are looking for jobs. So I think the problem is that we're still doing staffing in the same old way and manufacturing is not not getting creative at recruiting, not having a culture that that causes people to be attracted to the job and really using a hiring process that that is you know, has certain um, turnover with it and everybody sort of accepts it as a cost of doing business.
0: Right. Well, and I think that that leads very nicely into our next conversation because one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show was this concept that you shared with me about employees actually doing the hiring. And so as people who are listening to this and their heads are about to explode right now, as you're saying, what, what do you mean managers aren't doing the hiring? I'd love for you to go into some depth as far as things that you've seen before and after and Exactly the steps to make that work so that if somebody's thinking about it, besides, of course, calling you and finding out all the details, but at least giving them a head start yes. of what that
1: looks like. Absolutely. And, and I think you need to start with your, your middle management and your leaders in terms of challenging their assumptions about the people that they manage. I mean, these are adults and they're working side by side with every new person that's brought in. And if a company is, is, is willing to train, and most are, especially on those entry-level jobs, it's far more important to hire someone for their character than it is for, and their personal attributes than it is for whatever experience they might have. So the steps are that you, we get management, the supervisors and managers to say, tell us who your top employees are, who are your best people? I mean you can count on them. They're always there. They go the extra mile. They're trustworthy completely. Who and they're innovative, they're creative. Who who are those people? And they they identify the 5 or 6 or 7 top employees. And and then we go through about a 6-hour training session which is more than most supervisors have had who are making hiring decisions, often more than most managers have had in manufacturing in terms of interviewing. And we get them together and we say, Tell us what you're looking for in the person working next to you. If I ask that of supervisors, they'll usually say, Oh, some related experience, you know, a, a good attendance record, if we can get that information. And, and, and that's about it. If I like them. If they, if they seem like they're a good fit, whatever that means, and yet if you ask the people that are going to be working next to them for eight to ten to twelve hours a day, what are you looking for? They'll make a list of thirty to forty attributes. You know, like has a sense of humor, has my back, learns quickly, w- willing to go the extra mile, creative, funny, fun to work with. I mean, they'll they'll have a whole list of of those things and then what we do is give them a group of behaviorally based questions that they can use to determine what questions they want to ask and we teach them how to do a team interview which can seem daunting to a candidate and and often does although our experience for the last 20 some years is that people walk out of those interviews wanting the job more than they did when they walked in so the they make the person feel comfortable. They ask their questions. They get a certain rhythm. The longer they're together, the stronger they are. And they ask probing questions. And at the very end of that interview, there's they make a decision about whether or not to hire that employee. And that decision is made without management. Um, management's counting on them to make that decision and make it a good decision. And everybody has to agree. They have to reach consensus. They can live with the decision. Even if someone's not so sure, if they can reach consensus, the person gets an opportunity. So that's, that's sort of how it, it works. The, there are obstacles with it, but, but the benefits are so much greater. Yeah, the thing that I was
0: thinking of, it really seems to eliminate that first day, the scary (laughs) first day for the new employee because they met their boss. Maybe they saw some of the people that they'd be working with in the plant. But until they actually go and show where their workspace is, they have no idea. Am I going to like these people? Uh, Who am I going to have lunch with? Where are the cool kids? Who do I sit with? All of that. Where when you have that team effort of their peers, bringing them on board, not only do they feel more comfortable being around those people, but the people that they're working with have buy-in because now they're saying that this person is because of me yes. that I'm here, versus nobody ever lasts more than six weeks here. Or, you know, you get ghosted at lunch because people are like, oh God, another new person. Another one. <laughs> Why should I make friends with them? They're just going to be gone in three weeks. Well, what if you did make friends with them? <laughs> yes. And that well- friendship
1: caused you to stay well that's just it and the the thing is that the team members take personal responsibility in the success of that person versus oh here are the supervisor's just bar hr's brought in another person we're going to have to train they take responsibility and and we measure their success i mean we give them regular reports they look at turnover numbers and so on and so forth so there's a lot of side benefits like they'll they'll identify if there's a supervisor that's got a major turnover issue based on style or something like that, they'll identify it They because they're, they're very focused on their goal is to reduce turnover in combination with hiring the very best people um, that are there. Right. And there's something too with managers sometimes,
0: and I've seen it just like you have in basically every company I've ever worked for, there seems to be like that golden child manager that is untouchable from an upper management standpoint, but they're just atrocious as a manager but nobody has the nerve to tell them. So when you use this philosophy and you kind of open it up, create that safe environment to number 1, we will listen to you if you have some legitimate gripes about what your boss is doing and either we're going to send that manager to training or they're not going to be managers because that you've heard it. I mean, people don't leave their, people don't quit their job. They quit their manager. We've heard it a gazillion times and it's up to leaders to make sure that their managers measure up to the culture that they want to create there.
1: Absolutely. And, and, the team members make sure of that. In fact, they will will often go a step further and just say to the team members, what what were your challenges on the first day and how would you suggest that we structure an, a, a first day orientation and get them involved in that? And, and of course, from a cultural standpoint, you're starting to really empower people at that frontline level with a significant decision. And that that contributes to retention of those high performers as well. You know, they're they're taking a, a they're getting a much a stronger sense of ownership within the company. Yeah, you're entrusting
0: them with a role that they probably never would have aspired to and they they never even thought that they would be instrumental in hiring their next person. So you're also giving the opportunity to maybe somebody who hasn't been shining as a superstar to once they get empowered and they feel a taste of that, now you're giving them the tools to make them even better at their job.
1: Well, and and another benefit, I mean, we we only usually do that training once and then there's a term, there's a term limit. And then after two months or three months, a member will rotate off, but will name their successor to the team. And then the team trains the person mm. um, sort of on the job as part of the interview process. So it's, a, it's just a fantastic approach. And I, I don't want to under, uh, under uh, describe the results. Um, it, it reduces turnover by more than 50% almost immediately. So, what would you
0: describe then as a high-performing manufacturing organization?
1: Well, it's one in which you can't tell who works in the plant and who works in the office, other than maybe the PPE. Although if they're on the floor, office people ought to be uh, wearing their personal protective. You can't tell change in shifts, which is really interesting. You know, and I've worked in large plants where you know when the shift is over, there's a mass exodus converging with a mass you know, exodus coming in. And the uh, you don't really see that because people stop and talk to each other. And we don't get real wrapped up in, well, first of all, a high-performance workplace has no use for time cards. We believe people are salaried. We'll pay them 40 hours. And if they're in a non-exempt job, they get overtime. Um, but we're not sweating a minute here or two minutes here, and neither mm-hmm. are they. So they'll talk to each other between shifts and you know, let each one know what's, what, what they need to pay attention to going through it. They're, they greet people. I can tell when I walk into a high-performance workplace because people will look me in the eye and they'll smile. And, and often they'll wave. It sounds like little stuff. But I can also tell one that's a very traditionally managed company where you walk in and people are looking down and nobody looks up and nobody says anything. And by the way, you're being escorted by a member of management, not by one of the team members who knows the job the best or the equipment, the best.
0: Yeah. I can always say that, that, you know, you feel culture. You feel, Um, I mean, you can walk into a plant. and, And when you think about that brand new employee or a candidate for a job, coming in. They're walking into that plant going, oh, how does it feel? Do I want to work here? You know, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there's something off. I don't want to be there versus they see the smiles, they see the recognition, they feel that energy even between shift change, which is such a good example. And there's not the micromanagement of each and every second because of the time clock. Sometimes we just have to throw out these uh, dated management philosophies yeah. and well, look at ways all, to create those connections.
1: Well, they're all based on a, you know, a lack of trust and, and everybody's had experience with hiring bad employees. I mean, that are just bad. They're not good people. They'll steal from you. They'll lie to you. They'll cheat. They'll do whatever. And if they manage to get themselves in, you want to get them out as soon as possible, but you don't want to create a whole culture around trying to catch them. Exactly. And in the process of that, dehumanize all those good people that you've hired. And that's really the crux of the philosophy that drives so many of these systems is don't spend time on that five percenter. If, you, if you've made a bad hire, get them out quickly. And on the 95 percenters, focus your attention on them. Through reward and challenge, and and knowing that they have so much more to contribute, I often liken a traditional manufacturing organization to that of someone that buys a really robust computer system, but they only use one one tiny part of its capacity. That's that's sort of what we do with our with our production employees in many traditionally managed organizations, where we bring them in to do the hand the man, man work, manual work. But we're not using their brain at all. Right. And there's so much that that they have to offer. And I'm not trying to be Pollyanna here. There is, I have seen in high performance workplaces, the level of creativity and ownership. And for those who are looking at numbers, which we all are, every metric is improved when you've got a workforce like that. Well, as we're getting to the end of our time together,
0: how do people get in touch with you? If they want to learn more or they want to connect with you, because the whole point of this podcast is to create a network that people can reach out to you, um, that you can reach out to them. So if they wanted to do that, learn
1: more, how do they do that? Well, it's interesting. They can, they can go to uh, our group, which is hpwpgroup.com. Go to our website. We're always happy to be in touch. Anybody can reach me at sue at hpwpgroup.com. We really are involved in creating communities and our leadership workshops typically end up forming communities um, from companies that have engaged in and invested in creating that high-performance workplace. So they, they share with each other what their successes are, where they've stubbed their toes, and so on. And they actually have some of their own community, even though they're different industries.
0: So Mosu, well, thanks again so much for being my guest today. I'm Lisa Ryan, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Manufacturers Network podcast. See you next time.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers network. Or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.